The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Government is the problem. This will not stand. This will not stand, this aggression against uh, Kuwait. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Mr. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. America is a strong force for peace. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And my vice president has shot someone. Do you smell what Barack is cooking? You didn't build that. I'll give you all a big kiss, the women and the men. I'll, kiss. I'll even kiss the men. I'll kiss those big, powerful men. Sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, the show for those who want a spirited, irreverent, humorous, and occasionally informative discussion on the latest geopolitical issues that are impacting the energy sector today. Here is your host, Jordan Driscoll. Welcome to the program, my huddled masses. I'm the aforementioned Jordan Driscoll, your industry malcontent and ATM of a reckless opinion. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's get into it. Now, um, now I have to be honest. Tonight, I'm I'm not having a cup of coffee. I know, I know. That's uh, that's out of character. It's unacceptable behavior on my part, but that's what we've done. So I'm actually recording. Uh, it's actually Labor Day. Um, and it's about 11. It's actually just just switched over to 11 o'clock right now. And um, it's a bit late. I need to go home and get some sleep, so I'm not having a cup of coffee. I stopped drinking coffee about an hour or so ago. Uh, so I've got water tonight. But you, regardless of what time you're listening to this, you should for sure be drinking some coffee, uh, obviously. Uh, and here in a few minutes, we'll talk about what you ought to be drinking coffee out of, but I'll get to that. Okay, so a little bit of housekeeping. I'm going to be on the road a lot over the uh, month of September. Um, I'm going to be in Houston later probably this week uh, down there for some training and knocking out some work stuff that i got to do. But uh, because I'm going to be in Houston, I'm probably getting together with uh, Business Daddy Mark LaCour, Paige, and maybe Jordan Yates of the um, – the, uh, oh, man, terrible. I forgot the name of her show. There's like 15 or 20 shows on the network. I can't remember them all. Uh it's the one that Caterpillar does. Uh, anyway, um, so probably going to be hanging out. Probably going probably gonna to make that happen. And uh, may try and uh, record an episode for this show. Maybe like a little round table or something while I'm down there and I've got some extra bodies. I think that'd be fun. Uh, so we'll see. I think that'll be fun. Then be in a Dallas falling week for one of my employees is getting married uh, like a fool. Haven't managed to talk her out of it. But, uh, but we'll be there and that'll be good. And um, to cap all this off at the end of the month, I'm going to be doing something a little exciting. I hinted at this a few weeks ago, but it looks like everything's – the dust is settled and it's, it's going to happen. Uh, so I will be attending the, um, the IDIPC, the Abu Dhabi International Energy Petroleum Conference or whatever it's called, uh, in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. I'm going to be there to host a uh, – uh, a show for the network. It's not going to be this show specifically, but I'll be at the conference hosting some stuff for OGGN and uh, for Caterpillar, who's making that happen. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, but while I'm there, I'm actually going to uh, capitalize on that. I'm going to do some um, 
some episodes of this show while I'm on location in Abu Dhabi. I'll probably do like a um, a history of Abu Dhabi in the energy uh, sector or, you know, probably just history of Abu Dhabi because, you know, I, I love how so many of the comments, uh, and it, honestly, my favorite thing is, this show is so uh, almost inappropriately named. It's uh, oil and gas geopolitics, very loosely tied to oil and gas. Uh, but, you know, hey, I think it's all relevant. I think the context is uh, what's important. But anyway, so I'll be in Abu Dhabi. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to do some episodes there, get some mileage out of it for this show as well. Um, I'll have tons of pictures that I'll probably post on the um, – uh, certainly on my LinkedIn, probably on the OGGN one as well. And um, for the handful of you that actually are uh, following me on my Instagram, uh, I'll, I'll be blowing that up, obviously. Um, so, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Looking forward to that. That's going to be pretty cool. It's been a long time since I've been to uh, the Middle East. And the last time I was in the Middle East, in fact, it was uh, very different circumstances. Uh, so it'll be uh, interesting to be there. So we'll see how that goes. And I'll, I'll have my little series of shows while I'm over there. I'll probably call them like uh, Jordan of Arabia or Jordan Without Borders, Abu Dhabi edition or something. I think that'll be fun. That'll be fun. We're going to do that. Um, also of note, uh, there and I actually don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about this yet or not, but I'm going to. And if I, you know, they'll, they'll reprimand me if I wasn't supposed to. Uh, but there's evidently going to be some OGGN swag, which um, sounds ridiculous if I'm being honest. Uh, but uh, some of the shows are getting some swag, like T-shirts, that kind of thing. Um, and evidently, I'm told, and maybe after this announcement I, I will be excluded, but uh, we'll see. Uh, but evidently, supposedly, this show is going to be having a T-shirt. And I got a, a proof, of, uh, actually just here a little while ago in my email... Uh, from the marketing folks of a <laughs> of a geopolitics podcast coffee mug that says on it, uh, uh, "Grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's get into this." So I'm obviously I love that. Um, I don't know. I really don't know who would actually get swag for this show. Uh, I'm going to have one of those coffee cups just because, but I don't know who else would actually do that. But if you want it, that evidently will be a thing that um, uh, it presumably will be available at some point in the near future. I don't know when that's going live, but uh, but keep an eye out for it. And, um, yeah, I guess <laughs> we're going to have swag for the show, which seems so completely outrageous. But, uh, you know, all right, let's do that. Hmm. Inaugural sip of our water here. Delightful. Okay, so what we're gonna do tonight. Tonight, we're gonna have a nice easy one. We're gonna do um we're gonna do some QA. I've got a pile of questions that have stacked up, so I've grabbed a handful of them uh to kind of just run through those and, and clear that out a little bit so they're not getting too deep on me. Um and so yeah, we're gonna dive into it. So first off, boy Lodvig here is a frequent he and I he's pretty much my pen pal. Uh he and I uh, chit chat via email quite frequently. Uh, well, I say that. He writes me a lot of emails, and I try and write back to him when I can. But I'm uh, anybody, anyone that knows me knows I'm terrible at emails. Uh, uh, I read all my emails, and I try and get back to him as I can. But um, I'm I'm properly terrible when it comes to writing back emails. But I do always appreciate getting them, and I read them all. Um, but anyways, he was talking about uh, the Israeli nuclear weapons program from the two-parter I did a couple weeks uh, or the past couple of weeks on the Israel-Lebanon thing. And, um, yeah, he recommended me a book, uh, Gideon's Spies, which I think I have a copy of in my uh, library 
Um, well, it's not actually in my library. I think it's in my storage right now because I have a, too many books, and so I have have some of them in storage, and I need to take it out. But I specifically think I recall getting that book and never getting around to reading it. So I'm going to check that out. I think it would be very interesting to do an episode on uh, Israel's nuclear weapons program. Um, and I think the tie into energy there is that uh, it's got the word nuclear, and I'm just going to ride those coattails through and, and, and all of that. You know, I'm just going to do an episode about whatever I want. That's uh, that's what we do here. Um, but I do think that would be an interesting episode, so I, I probably will do that. And uh, Lodwig, appreciate you shooting me that, uh, that book recommendation. I think is irony you should have it. I've got it, so I'm going to check that out. Um, I'm trying to get that on the list for maybe Q4 this year to get it read. Okay, let's see what else we got here. So as usual, I have not uh, researched or prepared. I have skimmed through some questions, and I ram- randomly grabbed some. And um, so we'll see what we got here. Uh, and as always, if you want to write in questions or whatever, it's jordan.driscoll at com, Or you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, any of those will work. And like I said, I'll... Um, uh, I always read those, and then I set some aside and, uh, you know, have, have them for show ideas later on. Okay, so let's see what we got here first. Um, who, <laughs> uh, this one here. Who are you voting for? Uh, I assume you mean in the presidential election of 2024. And the answer is I don't have a fucking clue. Uh, I, I just don't. I mean, I'm not excited about any of the options. I mean, on the one hand, you've got the sarcophagus of Joe Biden. Uh, not really thrilled about that. And then on the other hand, you've got uh, the perpetual indictment machine known as Donald Trump. And none of those are doing it for me. I mean, granted, you know, uh, Biden's almost assuredly going to be the Democratic nominee in the U.S. election. Uh barring something relatively unprecedented in happening. Uh, but Trump is certainly ostensibly heavily favored. He's heavily in the lead on the um, Republican side of the House. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to see who the Libertarian candidate is and then see how things are looking when we get closer to it. I just don't know. None of them, none of them jazz me. Uh, they just don't. Uh, yeah. You know, and then you got what? You got a uh, anti-Disney DeSantis, and um, gosh, who else is relevant? You know, Nikki Haley maybe is uh, on the the Republican ticket, trying to do something. But I mean, honestly, I mean, unless some stuff. Oh yeah, I guess Mike Pence. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I none of them are exciting me. I don't know. Who, it, first off, it doesn't matter who I'm voting for. I mean, let's be clear about that. My who I choose to vote for should have no influence on you whatsoever. What you should do is look at the facts, be as objective as you possibly can, um, do your research, figure out what your actual political philosophy is, and vote according to what makes sense with the facts you have to that philosophy. Okay? And that, that may be a more convoluted answer than I mean for it to be, but... um. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go up for a little bit of a rant here. So, for instance, and I may get a little bit more philosophical here than um, you're probably ready, uh, maybe what you're used to, but but roll with me for a minute. Again, this is um, just me kind of gonzo stream of consciousness thinking about this. But I believe that there is a difference between your personal beliefs 
and your beliefs and how the government should operate. And what I mean by that is, uh, um, God, see, here's the problem with doing something and not actually like prepping it or having any real show notes or anything to go off of is you have to like think on the fly here and try and uh, figure out what you want to say. Um, I believe that there are things that I personally do like and don't like, right? Uh, you know, just things, beliefs. Uh, well, let's take, let's take uh, drugs, right? I don't do any kind of uh, non-prescribed drugs at this current point in my life. Uh, those days are, are well past me, and I don't really much care for most um, most drugs. I don't smoke pot. I just don't really care for the way it smells and and all of that. I mean, that stuff's all just behind. All all of my drugs are nicotine and uh, and alcohol based these days. But I think it all ought to be legal. I think it ought to be up to individuals to make that decision for themselves and what's right and wrong and what they ought to do and, and what they don't want to do. Um, I don't think the government should make that decision for you. Uh, you know, we've seen it didn't work with prohibition. We, you know, and it, it, it kind of comes back, and again, I know I'm getting a little philosophical here, but just roll with me for a minute. It all comes back to, do we believe the government knows better for our lives than we do, which I think is dubious, and two, uh, how much do you want the government interfering in your life if what you're doing is not impacting anybody else or anybody else's property. You know, I my philosophy is the government that governs least governs best. That's me personally. That's my my personal takeaway there. Um, I don't believe in giving the government the power to do anything unless you're okay with the other side having that same power too. A good example of this would be um, uh, the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act was... Uh, something that I despised when initially passed, and um, and I hated it when Obama renewed it. And, you know, the Republicans at the time were all on board with the Patriot Act for security and safety uh, back when it was, you know, first signed into law by Bush. And then they were all against it and thought it was an overreach of uh, an imperial presidency when Obama renewed it. And I'm like, listen, you same motherfuckers voted for this thing four years ago, and now that Obama's renewing it, you're against it entirely. And the Democrats were on the other side going, Bush, you can't have this. It's too much power for the presidency and all of this. And then when Obama signed it back in and, you know, uh, redid it, they're all standing up applauding that he's taking these bold strides for our security. And it's just such bullshit, okay? Um, If you're against, I mean, let's think about it like this. Nixon got run out of office for wiretapping a single hotel room. Bush and Obama wiretapped the entire fucking country, and they didn't get run out of office. I mean, granted, we've all complained at various times about the Patriot Act, um, depending upon who the president happens to be. But my point is, conceptually, you can't give the government the power to wiretap the whole country and then be pissed off when the other side gets it when they win the election. That's just... Pick one. Figure out what you actually feel, what you think is appropriate for the government to be able to do, and then actually stick with that belief structure, right? If you think the government ought to be wiretapping everybody's phone calls and be able to pull your phone records with a flip of a couple keystrokes, then fine. I disagree with you, but if that's what you believe, then by all means, 
Um, believe that, but believe it regardless of who's in charge and be okay with the ramifications that entails. Otherwise, if you're not okay with it when the other side has it, then don't be okay with it when your guy gets it. They just shouldn't have that power. That's my personal philosophy when it comes to, to governmental power, which I know isn't necessarily what you were asking, but that comes back to what I was saying about when you're when you're voting, figure out what you actually think the the philosophy behind how you think the government should operate is. Do you really, really believe um, in small government? Do you really believe in a overarching, more involved government that's going to nanny you and do all those kinds of things and that has the answers? And, and again, my job here is not to tell you the right or wrong answer because my interpretation of the answer is subjective. It's what I think the government should or shouldn't be doing. You're going to come to your own conclusions that may be very different from mine or might be very similar, but that's on you. It's not on me to tell you how you should feel about what the government should or shouldn't be doing or who you should be voting for. Uh, I want all of you guys to do your research, truly understand how you think the government ought to function, and then vote accordingly. And um, we may not vote for the same person, but that's okay. That's the beauty of it. At least we got out there and we did it, right? So that's that's my answer. But to to your question specifically, no, I have no clue who I'm voting for yet. I just don't know. Um, I'm not enchanted by either of them uh, that seem likely to be the uh, the ones running. And so far, nobody's really grabbed me in any sort of a meaningful way. Otherwise, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. If we get a little bit closer down the road. I think the uh, the first primary debates just happened. Uh, I think they happened. I didn't catch them, though. Anyway, I'll have to double-check that. But point is, short answer, I don't know yet. Uh, but in lieu of giving you a straight answer, I had to give you a long answer about my philosophies on government. So have fun with that. Okay. <laughs> now that we've got that one knocked out, uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, thoughts on the slow Ukrainian counteroffensive? Do you think it should be moving faster? Um do I think it should be moving faster? Not necessarily. Would I like it to be moving faster? Yes. Uh, but I do think there are reasons, both uh, understandable and logical, as to why it's not. So, first off, the when they when they started doing the talks about this big counteroffensive last year, was last um, fall, I believe, Um. That was, you know, they were going to have to wait through winter because winter in Ukraine is <laughs> brutal, uh, from what I'm told. And that gave Russia a lot of time to dig in. I mean, they were able to uh, make miles and miles and miles of trenches and put mines up and do all these sorts of things and really just dig in their defense, right? And Ukraine doesn't have air power to break those defenses, not in any meaningful way. Uh, this is all ground warfare. Um, so that's that's a, that's something going against them. They can't really go in there with combined arms the same way that, say, you know, the coalition did in, in Iraq or Gulf War One, Gulf War Two. They couldn't do all that sort of stuff. Like, it's just purely, for the most part, a ground campaign. The air power is limited to just trying to neutralize either side from having any level of air dominance. So... Um, that's going to slow things down right off the bat because modern military doctrine is very much built around this concept of combined arms maneuvers and having joint forces that are doing different things with different types of military assets and, and all of that. 
Um, and so I'm not surprised because this is a very traditional old school ground campaign. The other problem is the Ukrainians have pretty limited training on a lot of the equipment they've gotten from the West, we'll call it. Um, you know, they're they're working on getting trained up on F-16s from Belgium or whoever it is that's donating them. They're, you know, but I mean, this stuff takes time. You know, these guys don't have years of training in this equipment. They're getting this equipment and trying to learn it on the job. So that's going to be another thing working against them. So you're going against somebody who's had months to entrench into a position using equipment that you are having to learn on the fly. And thirdly, and I think this is, and I read an article to this effect um, just a week or two ago, the Ukrainians don't have experience in large field maneuvers. They've got pretty good experience in squad maneuvers and company-level maneuvers, which are fairly small ground maneuvers. But larger maneuvers are not something that they're, they have any level of experience with. And so those kind of big, coordinated, theater-wide you know, divisions and brigades moving around trying to do uh, big maneuvers, I, they just don't have experience in that. And, you know, to be clear, I was an Air Force guy, so my, I would not profess to be an expert on ground assault operations and, and you know, any of that. But <laughs> neither are the Ukrainians. So basically, I think what we have is a, a situation where they've got a pretty stacked deck against them. I mean, they're getting a lot of equipment, a lot of ammo, a lot of stuff like that from various Western nations, U.S. included. But I just don't know. It's going slowly because they have a lot of obstacles to overcome from a experience and logistics and weather and geography and like all of the things that go into a conflict that we don't really think about. And moreover, they're going to have to deal with all of that without having any kind of air dominance, without having any kind of naval element they can rely on for, you know, trying to flank to the south and, and do, you know, amphibious landings in the Sea of Azov or anything like that. So would I like the Ukrainian counteroffensive to be going faster, better, more dramatically? Sure. But the reality of it is this is very literally World War One level trench warfare with no air power, just grinding and grinding. And the Ukrainians... They just—it's—they're going to have to learn how to do this, and they're going to have to learn how to do it under fire, because they don't have time to train for it. So that's what it is. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Next question. Uh, let's see. What podcast do you recommend? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, gosh, how can I answer this without getting myself fired from the network? Um, <laughs> uh, none uh, all the OGGN ones I don't know so the problem is I don't listen to a lot of podcasts um, truthfully I, I, I don't uh, I just don't have that much time to I used to listen to more podcasts but these with the show it actually kind of eats into the time like anything I'm doing podcast related is usually this show um, so I don't spend a lot of time listening to other I was a guest on someone's podcast um Several months ago, it was a couple, uh, I don't know, late spring maybe, mid-spring, somewhere in there. I was a guest on someone's uh, show, and I, I've i never listened to an episode of it. I, I, you know, They were a very nice person, uh, probably a very good show. I've never even heard. I didn't even listen to my episode on there. I just 
you know, I just don't have time to it. I will occasionally, um, I listen to Mark and Page's uh, Oil and Gas this week uh, intermittently, like um, just very once in a while I'll, I'll grab an episode if I'm on the road somewhere or if I'm flying or something like that and I'll have something to listen to. Uh, usually I try and grab any new show that the network does just to support it and kind of see what the new host is doing. Um, you know, if they have any good ideas, I can steal that kind of thing. Um, so I usually check out, you know, like, uh, Yates's podcast. I, I did an episode of that. Kim's, uh, Lee's podcast about, uh, diversity and equality and inclusion or a D E and I or whatever. Um, and so I, I, I try and grab like one of each new show that comes out and just get a, a feel for it. And I've tried to listen to at least one of every show on the network. Um, but realistically, I just don't have that much time on my hands. And so usually I sort of skim the shows and I see if any of them have anything that looks like just an interesting topic and I'll grab that. But otherwise, I just most of the time I don't. If I listen to a podcast, it's either one of those that I've randomly kind of picked because the title looks good or it's a guest that I want to hear from. Uh, or uh, totally unrelated to anything, purely just fun, is um, uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I enjoy that. I get a kick out of it. So that's fun, too. And then there's, like, some history podcast, and for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called, but about once every couple of months, I'll go through a kick where I'll um, listen to a few of those, but they're kind of long episodes. Um and I actually think since I upgraded my phone, I haven't even downloaded any of them, so I can't even tell you what the title is. But it's something to do with, uh, like, military history or something. It's, of course, the sort of thing you would imagine I would listen to. Um, so, yeah, that's cool. That's, uh, yeah, I don't have it on here, so I can't even tell you what it is. But it's some sort of a historical podcast. I can't remember what it is. Um, all right, moving right along. What do you think of the most recent Trump indictments? Uh, well, I think that at this point, I just wish they would stop so that I can catch my breath and figure out which of these indictments are actually worth looking into and which ones are just nonsense. Um, I mean, my God, it's just they keep kind of we're at four different uh, sets of indictments going right now. And they just did a, a superseding indictment on the Mar-a-Lago thing, which is um, basically adding some additional charges on there. I haven't read the superseding indictment. I did a, a bit in the show a month or two ago about the Mar-a-Lago indictments. Um, but I haven't re- I haven't read the new one they put out, and I haven't read the others. I've read little short briefs on kind of the rough situation, but I, I haven't read the full indictments like I did with the Mar-a-Lago. Um, my thoughts on those are, um, I think I've got sort of a, let me see, I... Um, Checking my notes to see if I even have them written down what all there because there's so many and I kind of vaguely try and keep track of it for the show but uh, there's a lot. Okay, so what do we got here? We got the January sixth insurrection case, which uh, Trump's been indicted on at this point. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. I think that one is. I don't think that's okay. It sounds very serious, but I don't think that is going to. Uh, I don't know the legal theory behind what they're trying to hit him on that. Something I think it's not like they say insurrection in this, but if I remember what I read, and don't 
you know, nail me to the wall on this because I'm relying on my memory. But I think it has something to do with a conspiracy to um, disenfranchise voters uh, by trying to stop because there was like a call with Trump where he said stop counting when the Democrats got ahead. And they were tra- I think that is the one that that's tied to. Um, I'll be honest, my knee jerk reaction to that is I, I, I think that would be very hard to prove. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I mean, I'd have to read it. I have to do some research, uh, you know, not a lawyer, but I feel like that would be a very tricky, uh, case to prove. And I feel like that's probably, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that's not as high likelihood of being a problem, uh, for former president Trump. I don't think that's, um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's a federal indictment for a felony, so that's its own problem, but I, that's. I don't know. Without knowing more about that one, but I'd have to actually really kind of dig into what the the basis behind it is. Because on the surface, trying to prove that he personally disenfranchised voters or had a conspiracy to do that, um, maybe. But I, I don't know. That's that seems like that's a trickier thing to prove. And again, I don't know what all the evidence the prosecution has. So uh, yeah, I'm, that that one I'm gonna have to research more on. But you know, that's what I feel about that one. Um, next, we've got the Georgia election interference case. So I think, you know, when these were still sort of in the the ether before the indictments dropped, I had said that there were kind of two of them that I thought were serious business. And I thought the Georgia election interference one was going to be serious, and I thought the Miralago one was going to be serious. And I think I still kind of stand by that. I don't know how they're going to t- – I mean, you know, they tried to do the impeachment for Trump um, – uh, for the insurrection thing, and that didn't fly. And I don't know how the, I, I don't know how that case is going to evolve. I, I don't know how they're going to really tie him to it in a compelling way. Um, the Georgia interference case, where you've got that phone call where Trump tells the guy to find like the exact number of votes plus one to win him the election that's recorded. I, I said it before, that's a problem. That case. And it's here now. That one's going to be a big, hairy deal. That's going to be a real problem. And they've, and I recall, they are putting my notes here that they're making it a RICO case, um, which basically is like what you typically do with organized crime. So that's pretty wild. Um, so yeah, that one I think is going to be serious business. And I think, I mean, listen, not having all of the evidence and discovery at my fingertips and not being a criminal defense attorney or a prosecutor, my opinion, call it for what you will. But boy, oh boy, when you've got a recording of somebody saying, find me the exact number of votes plus one to win this election, that seems like that's kind of damning. That's not something that that sounds good for your defense. So uh, that one is one that I've said for a long time I think is going to be potentially um, problematic for former President Trump, and I stand by that. I, I think that one's going to be a tricky tricky one to deal with. Uh, Mar-a-Lago, yep, that one is um, the classified documents case. I think that one's still going to be um, a big deal. That one actually is, um, I've got in my notes here, I think they've got a trial scheduled for that. And... Um, 
I think that one's set to try. No, no, is that the Georgia case? Let me let me see here. Uh, one of these they've got a trial date set for that's like May of next year, and um, I can't. I want to say it's the Mar-a-Lago case, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, again, I I didn't research any of these before I started recording, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the Mar-a-Lago case. All right. So, yeah, and look at that. May 20th, 2024. Look at that. Look at that. The memory still works a little bit. I think that Mar-a-Lago case is still going to be a real problem. The one thing in Trump's favor on the Mar-a-Lago case, though, is uh, Judge Cannon was originally or is, is the one who's been selected to preside over that case. And that's interesting because Cannon has been very unapologetically pro-Trump, which is not really I mean you generally don't want a lawyer having a bias going into a trial just in general but that um because she was the judge over one of his other um cases from uh earlier I can't remember which case it was now but you know she pretty much just like was dismissing it out of hand and it was a whole thing and she actually got uh, formally rebuked by the Republican Judicial Committee that's her supervisor, her supervisory committee, or the presiding judge, um, for, like, being unapologetically biased, like, just coming out and just saying out front, yes, I am biased, and I'm, you know, whatever, and or I shouldn't say that, but, I mean, her actions were very, like, dismissing the other case just out of hand, like, very, like, she she got formally sanctioned for that. Um, and I will say, as much as I think this will be an interesting trial, and I think it's, um, uh, you know, I mean, it's important. I think it's 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 potentially a real problem for for uh, Trump to deal with. But the one ace that he has probably up his hand is the fact that by some bizarre quirk, and no, it's not a conspiracy. It's a random drawing, and it just you know it happens that she got picked. Um, I don't believe there's any sort of a thing there. Um, but I think that, you know, that, that turned up in his favor. He's got a fairly friendly presiding judge. Now she's probably going to be under some scrutiny from her superiors since she's already, uh, been rebuked for, for this particular individual and for being, you know, publicly unbiased and all of that, or publicly biased, I should say. So, I mean, she's going to have to walk a bit of a fine line, I imagine, but I mean, let's face it, if... (laughs) If you're going into trial and the, the the judge is someone who's voted for you and that you appointed and that's on your side, you, that that's kind of not the worst. Yeah, it's not great, but it seems like you'd much rather that than somebody that uh, personally hates you. Now, on the flip side, I will say for my Republican brethren and sisterin, um, probably not great to have a judge that's going out of their way to be overly supportive of one side or another, even if you want. Trump to, to get out of this and for him to be found not guilty, you don't really want there to be that shadow over the trial of a judge playing favorites because then that just opens all the doors up for the favoritism and cronyism um, that will always hold a shadow over that. So, I mean, I, I think you don't, you know, you if you're, if you're a Republican brother and sister on the program, you probably really want this judge to be playing it by the straight and level and you want... I mean, you almost want 
uh, a different judge who is who has not publicly come out one way or the other on on any side of the issue just to avoid that perception because you know if he if he gets off as not guilty then you're going to have just this specter of that hanging over it forever that it was just an overtly friendly judge who who you know put her finger on the scales um whereas opposed if you don't know the judge's leanings then it feels a little bit more legitimate a little bit more like the evidence you know shined through and and justice was you know served in whatever form that looks like at the end so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's going to be a real interesting to watch. And I still think that's potentially the most, uh, it, as far as what I know right now, the most potentially damaging trial, just because I've read that indictment and I've seen some of the evidence they've gotten. It's <laughs> it isn't good. So I think that'll be uh, interesting. And then last but not least, we've got the Hush Money Stormy Daniels case. And I've said it before, and I maintain this. I think that's pretty much just bullshit. It's a nothing case. Um, basically, the nutshell is they didn't check the right boxes for what the money was, and they put it as lawyer fees rather than, um, you know, uh, uh, NDA money or whatever. And let's be really clear about this. It is not illegal to pay someone hush money. Uh, as far as I understand, I'm again not a lawyer. I'm not. I have not passed the bar in New York, but you can pay people money to not do a thing they're legally entitled to do, or to to do a thing that they don't have to do. Right? I mean, we've all signed NDAs. Most of us have at some point in our career. We've all signed, you know. Uh, uh, employment package, or some of us have anyways, where you sign a package that says, hey, whenever you leave this job, we pay you this amount of money and you agree to not say bad things about the company and to uh, not go work for a competitor and all of that sort of thing. I mean, that's basically hush money, right? We're going to give you a pile of money whenever you leave and you shut the fuck up and say nice things about us and uh, don't go work for somebody that's going to hurt the company. Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, give me my golden parachute. I mean, that's all it is. It's There's nothing illegal about that. Uh, the thing they're trying to hit him for is basically a paperwork issue, as I understand it. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that she was a porn star. Who cares? So he banged a porn star. Whatever. Who among us probably wouldn't have? Um, you know, paid her off. Okay. You can pay people off. Nothing illegal about that. Uh, but you got to file the right checkbox on your taxes. You can't be claiming it's something else. Okay, slap them on the wrist, give them his fine, let's move on with their lives. Just, that's, a, that's a nothing case. There's nothing to it. It's not a big deal. Um, the DA who I think, in my opinion, the DA that's filed that is way overreaching on what they think they can get out of this. And I think it's just some DA that's trying to make their career and put a you know a little pin on their jacket that says, um, yeah, I, I filed charges against the former president. Okay, man, good for you. That's that's a nothing case. The ones to be worried about, I still maintain, are the classified document Mar-a-Lago case and the um, the Georgia election interference case. Those are the two big ones. Those are the most risky ones. Um, and I'm not really sure that I think the insurrection case is quite that dangerous yet. But I, until I read the indictment and kind of see what they're going for, I I don't know on that one. I'm a little bit more on the fence. But the Georgia one and the Mar-a-Lago one, those are. I still say those are big deals. Uh, okay, how am I doing for time here? I kind of got on a rant there, didn't I? 38, Jesus, man, this this has flown by. Gosh, this questions, man. I'm sorry, I'm long-winded tonight. Um, okay, I'm going to try and burn through the next couple of these pretty quickly. Uh, what's going to be the next big hit to the energy sector? 
I'm assuming you mean geopolitically. Um, I think the next big hit to the energy sector on that is going to be almost without question, it's going to be the U.S. presidential election. Um, I think Saudi Arabia is uh, putting their finger on the scales a little bit, and they're going to keep doing that up until the election's coming up. And then I think they're going to basically get a, a scrambling, desperate phone call from Biden for relief at the pumps. And um, they're going to you know, basically try and squeeze him for you know, some more weapons deals or whatever. It, basically, they're going to try and just leverage him needing relief at the pumps near an election to to getting whatever it is the Saudis want at that particular time. That'd be my guess. So I think that's going to be the thing. That's, and, and always, you know, the last, the last, you know, Biden v. Trump round was chaos in the year. I mean, you guys all remember that. Jeez, I remember we had clients who just were literally just saying we're not buying anything, we're not selling anything, we're not doing anything. Starting in October, and nobody got comfortable with doing any th- business until pretty much like after the new year. Like they wanted to see how the election was going to go. They wanted to see how it was going to, where the dust was going to settle. And I think it's going to be very similar again. Um, I think that's absolutely the next big hit. You know, barring any force majeure activities, I think the U.S. presidential election is going to be the next big thing that's going to cause dramatic fluctuation and. And oil and gas. And mark my words, Biden will be calling Saudis and they'll be um, conveniently opening up the taps uh, come, uh, let's call it, let's call it four months prior to the election. That's what will happen. That's what I think. Uh, Okay, next question here. Should Mitch McConnell retire? And if he does retire or have a medical issue, will that hurt U.S. oil and gas? Um, so the first, uh, so to your first question, yes, he probably should. Um, I'm assuming you're referring to him like freezing up in a couple of like press conferences where he just like stops and locks up for 30 seconds and stares into space and then looks very confused about where he's at and what he's doing. Uh, so the answer is yeah, probably. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I don't have some sort of a, a, a hate on against older folks, you know, it's, this is not a boomer thing. Okay. There comes a point where honestly, if you're being completely honest, and objective with yourself, where you start to miss a step, right? I mean, Mitch McConnell is, I think 81, if memory serves right now, he's, he's, he's in his early eighties. I know that much. I want to say it's 81 or 82 is right around there. Um, that's not a young guy. I mean, he's not so old as to be, you know, debilitated, but but you start to have issues, and we don't know what his medical condition's like, right? I mean, I just, I don't know. I'm not in the doctor's office with him. But there comes a point where certain jobs, and I would even go so far as say any job, you've got to know when you start to miss a step and you need to make plans accordingly, right? Like one of the interviews I think I saw here in the past couple of days is where he was being asked if he was going to run for re-election. And he's like, oh, yeah, and then like just, totally locks up and stares off into space for a while. Um, my problem is not with politicians' age. I do think that is a problem, but the answer is not to just put a bunch of young people in office because young people don't have as much experience or his world knowledge and, and all of that by and large. Um, and so that's not necessarily... I do think more young blood should be in politics and and helping craft decision, but we don't need to just like wipe the slate of everybody over 50, throw them into a volcano and get a bunch of youngsters in there. That's not the solution. Um, But politicians need to learn when they have passed their prime and let the fuck go, right? 
Diane Feinstein's a great example. Um, Ruth Bader, uh, Ruth uh, Ginsburg, she's another fine example of this. And it's funny. So my Democrat brother and sister listen to the show. You guys were so jazzed about uh, Ginsburg staying on the Supreme Court and refusing to retire. Obama approached her, I believe it's twice, and asked her to retire so that he could appoint somebody uh, to the Supreme Court that was younger. And what's funny is you guys had like your big win. I can't remember what the thing was. That there was some sort of a, a big thing with uh, Gin- uh, Justice Ginsburg, um, and everybody was all excited about it, and I, for the life of me, can't remember what it was. But the funny thing is then we had the whole debacle with um, Kavanaugh, right? And what's funny is that if Ginsburg had retired earlier, i.e., two years into Obama's term where there would have been nothing to stop him from appointing a new justice, a new liberal-leaning justice, then you wouldn't have had that whole uh, uh, Kavanaugh situation, would you? No, no, no. We have to keep her in office. She has to stay there until she fucking dies. Okay, cool. Now this happened, right? So, I mean, that's the thing. You got Dianne Feinstein. She's 90 now and is missing, like, tons of work and has to be minded in the hallways and they can't let her talk to anybody because she doesn't know where she's at half the time. I think, again, this is what I've read or what I've heard. Um, But, yeah, I mean, at some point, man, like, you've got to just hang it up and let somebody else take the reins. And the age isn't what bothers me so much as the endless political terms in office, right? Like, people that have, oh, my 13th term in office, like, stop, stop, just stop it, Okay. This, the incumbents for life thing drives me bug nutty because then these guys get like entitled and they just can't let it go. And whether you love Dianne Feinstein or hate her, whether you love Mitch McConnell or hate him, the point is everyone hits a point where they start to miss a step. And when you're in the halls of power making decisions for 300 million people plus international policy for the world at large, um, maybe – you need to be able to get through a um, a press conference without, like, you know, uh, getting lost in the time-space continuum, right? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, how many, how many, for my Republican brothers and sisters, how many, uh, how many times have we all bitched about Joe Biden babbling nonsense at a camera for five minutes with no clue what the fuck he's talking about? Um, and then tripping over some air on a stage, right? I mean, there just comes a point where you're like, man, do we really need that 80-year-old back in office? Do we need that 90-year-old back in office? I don't know. And it's not the age. It's the where are you at on the middle spectrum there, you know? I mean, how 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 are you able to, like, process and handle? Um, but those guys have got to start learning when they hit that wall and then stepping down rather than just holding up the whole country because they just can't let go of the reins of power. That's my opinion on that one. Um, okay. Uh, I actually still had like two more questions, but we are at 45 minutes, and I have clearly gone way over what I actually planned on doing. Um, so there's that. So uh, we'll just put these back in the roster. We'll pull them out for our next Q&A episode when I do that. Um, yeah, i got to wrap this thing up and get out of here, man. It's, uh, it's bedtime for me. All right. Pleasure as always. This is Jordan Driscoll reminding you to have a cheeseburger in paradise for our boy Jimmy Buffett. See you guys on the next one. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.